Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, Matt, I bet you feel pretty dumb for giving that a B now, huh, buddy? What are you talking about? You don't remember last week's episode. Oh, um, well, in the words of the great poet Shaggy, it wasn't me. Dude, you literally said it last week. It wasn't me. We even have you on camera. It wasn't me. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. We can be found on Apple and Spotify, which you probably already know if you're listening here, but make sure to head over to Twitter as well and give us a follow at TTS underscore pod. My name is Brandon Stanley. Joining me, as they do every single week, Alex O'Hari at Future Canes and Matt Soma at Canes Prospects. And this week is our trade deadline primer, an episode that probably would have been pretty boring a couple weeks ago. But with the mounting injuries and some of the kind of cloudy situations that have arisen on the roster over the last couple of weeks, it's become a little more fascinating to consider. So we're going to discuss what the Canes might be looking for to shore up the roster, take a look around the league and consider players we think are potential fits to put the team in the best position to try and win a Stanley Cup this summer. But first, we'll briefly go back over the last week in Canes hockey. Uh, at the end of the day, the Canes took four points in three games from Columbus with the final game of the four game set tomorrow or Thursday evening. But the process was kind of a struggle at times, uh, two overtime losses where they really didn't play all that great. But then uh, one of the more complete efforts of the season came on Tuesday night, which culminated in a 19 save shutout for Alex Nadelkovich. Uh, it was just an all around good performance from the skaters as a whole. And Brady Shea, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I thought he probably had his best game as a hurricane, possibly. Um, even if he hadn't, even if he hadn't scored. Yeah. Like he was just involved offensively, you know, he was using his skating to get out on the rush and even defensively, he was really, really good. So good step in the right direction for 76. And like I said, hopefully it's a uh, game the Canes as a whole can build off of because they were really good. I think uh, another storyline that we kind of saw emerge um, in the last few games, especially is, you know, the chemistry developing between Marty Natchez and Sebastian Ajo. I mean, they seem to be emerging as, you know, a lethal duo just look really good together. They look like they're feeding off each other well, reading like they just very similar skill sets. And, um, you know, we're seeing results that you'd expect from players of that caliber. Um, another interesting dynamic from that is, you know, when you have Vincent Trocek and obviously Sebastian Ajo's other running mate, Table Teravainen back in the lineup, you know, can you kind of consider splitting those two apart at this point? I tweeted out last night, I said, 
you know, when TT and Troach are both back in the lineup um, at this point, I think I'd be running, I'd be sticking with the same Nino, Ajo, and Natchez line. And then on the back of that, you can kind of have Svechnikov on the second line with Trocek and Teravainen, which, you know, you'll have them running against other teams' second lines. And, you know, as far as top sixes go, I mean, that, that's about as talented as a group you'll find in the NHL, especially with how everyone's playing right now. So what, what do you guys think of that? Do you think Aho and Natchez should be left together moving forward, especially, you know, kind of uh, after what we've been seeing them build on here? Absolutely. I mean, what team is going to be able to defend that duo? These are two players with not only just like elite skills, but I mean, nobody, very few players, not, not nobody. I mean, there's Connor McDavid, he exists, but there are very few players that the Canes will play against regularly that can match speeds with Natchez and Aho. And I mean, they just, it, their transition game is just, oh my God, chef kiss, beautiful. You know, like that's a dangerous duo in transition. And you can kind of put, you know, a Nino Niederreiter and even, even, you know, Tevo Teravainen, I don't think he'd be a fit for that line because that goal uh, against Columbus the other night just would have been passing back and forth and never would have happened. <laughs> yeah. um, but so I think, you know, kind of what, Maybe the injuries are alluding to is, I mean, the only person that's going to stand to benefit the most is Svetch. Because once Teravainen and Trocek come back, you're going to have better line mates for Svechnikov. And I think, you know... Finally. Yeah, he stands to gain the most from this. Um, I, well, I can't see any rational reason for breaking up Natchez and Aho. I mean, like... There's a case to be made for balancing your scoring, but when you have two players that are playing this well together right now, I mean, you have to ride that as long as you can. Well, and yeah. no Nino Niederreiter to. has been a great compliment on that line as well, right? He gets to the dirty areas. Um, he grinds along the wall, and, you know, he's a great finisher. So to have him with those two guys, I think, as a, as a trio, that line uh, is very good. And like you mentioned, you know, it drops Sveshnikov down into more of a secondary role. And if you end up bringing Teravainen back into the lineup, assuming that he's going to be healthy to play at some point, I mean, having those two guys in your middle six is just, oh, man. I mean, there's not many teams in this league that have that kind of depth. Something I pointed out last night, actually, was Nino Niederreiter's heaviness to his game. Um, and he has been a perfect complement to those two because he has been fantastic with his puck retrieval, uh, winning battles along the boards, getting in on the forecheck. He's he's played really, really well. I mean, even when the points haven't come for him, he's been noticeable almost every single night. And I'm with you. I, I think one of the first games those two guys were together, I made a comment really saying good. it kind of reminded <laughs> saying it kind of <laughs> reminded me of like the early chemistry that Aho and Saravinen had together, where they just seemed to kind of know where each other was gonna be and found open ice for each other and seemed to click right off the bat. And uh, I, I, I hope that when Teravainen is hopefully back, you know, we haven't been getting very many updates about him. Concussions are really tricky. I've had five. I know what it's like. Um, I hope he can come back and be, you know, confident and feel right. And you never know with that injury. Right. Um, but Sveshnikov needs help. <laughs> I mean, this is probably something that we could go on about for, an hour here. So we probably shouldn't do that, but I'm getting really concerned about it. I mean, I'm not concerned about him long-term per se, but it's, it's getting frustrating to watch him struggle every single night and play as frustrated as he is. And you can tell when the way he's playing, you know, 
but yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's close to being able to dominate a shift on his own. And I mean, he, he kind of can, it's just, he doesn't have anybody on his line that can finish on a consistent basis. And so it's not an indictment on like stall and Foss or whoever he's been playing with lately. It's, it's just, just not noted they offensive. No, dominance. they don't match up well. And like, yeah. I've said this before, he's creating for nobody and they're not able to find him. You know, he's not catching passes in the danger areas. Guys aren't, you know, they're, they're not that kind of offensive IQ where they can, you know, dissect a defense and find him for a grade A opportunity. So he's just kind of wasted to me. Right. So I have, I have two things to say, and one kind of goes, we're going to go back to Nino, and then we're going to go back to Natchez. But um, so first thing about Nino is, I mean, you know, we, we've kind of realized over the past, you know, I guess two-ish seasons that Nino's really only as good as his line mates are, you know? Yeah, he's a secondary piece. Like, but he's a good complementary player on any right. line. Absolutely. Just if you want him to produce, you're going to want him to be on your top six. You guys want to hear a crazy stat? And I got this stat from uh, Mark Scheig, who covers both the Cleveland Monsters and the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Hockey Writer. Um. Martin Natchez has more points in his first 100 games than Andrei Svechnikov did. Which is also crazy. a year older, but that's okay. He well, didn't yeah, go straight to the NHL, also, but... He also broke into the league a year later. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but like... Still pretty interesting. It, it, it's crazy because, I mean, yeah, Natchez is a year older, but he... I mean, this is still a guy who just turned 22. It's kind of crazy. And I mean, it's not much. He had 59 points. Um, and I think Svetch had 55. So it's not like, you know, Svetch was bad or anything. Right. It's like also in Svetch's first, I think, 82 games, he was playing, playing with Martin Oak. Jordan <laughs> yeah. Martinook and Jordan Stahl, which wasn't going to yeah. do him. Lucas Walmart. Him I mean, it's. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's something to be said about how, you know, Natchez has been deployed and utilized in his first 100 games where. Now we're talking about Sveshnikov almost in his 200th game um, coming up. And it's like, it kind of makes you feel bad because this is a team that's, I wouldn't say wasting a star player. They're certainly not using him correctly. It's like, as soon as an injured player goes down, Svetch is instantly kind of getting the short end of the stick and getting told yeah. to lace him up with, again, it's not an indictment on these two players, but Jordan Stahl and Jesper Fast aren't the best offensive players in the world. Right. It's Just frustrating. In spite of Foss play lately. Foss has been phenomenal lately. And I'm gonna oh, go yeah, ahead and say sure. that. Like yeah. Foss has been impressive lately. But again, he's not gonna be that guy. And I don't know, it's it it makes me feel bad about for Svetch a little bit because I mean you see how frustrated it is. You see how badly, you know, he wants to win. I mean, that goal against Columbus the other night was huge for him. And then you can see the offside. like sigh of relief almost where this pump was just like finally. Yeah. And then he's offside on the game winning goal that got, you know, overturned. And you see like how that sunk him. And you know, you just you just want to give him a hug, you know, like <laughs> tell him it's gonna be okay. It's just we need these injured players back because Svetch needs them on his line. Yeah, yeah I thought or- about making a joke last night and saying <laughs> something about everybody's talking about how Svetch is like the most untouchable player on the team. Apparently it should be Martin Nietzsche. Cause I mean, if you, if you watched any of the hurricanes games lately and you said, yeah, they have this young phenom that everybody thinks is going to be, you know, 
tracking towards one of the best players in the league in the next couple of years, which guy would you think it is? It's pretty obvious. All of them. And (laughs) the fact of the matter is the Hurricanes have two young rising superstars, not including the Ajos of the world and, you know, the blue line and everything else they've got coming up in the system. But I just want to see Svechnikov put in a position to be the player he can be. That's all. Oh, it was a little hard to find prospect of the week this week, just because I think at the time we recorded, we already talked about Tuka Tiaxala. Um, So I decided not to go with him again this week, but then I realized the WHL's U S division started. So the prospect of the week is really just a shout out to Seth Jarvis and Ronan Seeley, who both began their seasons this weekend, both of which I think had two points. Yep. Um, Jarvis in three games, Seeley had a goal and an assist in two. Yes. There we go. So did not get the uh, 10 goals already that I expected out of Jarvis, but eh, he'll be fine. So is it, is it too <laughs> early to consider him a bust? <laughs> the WHO yeah. is a bad Trash. league for him to be in right now, and I don't think anybody in that division other than Everett is good. You know what? To, um, to kind of counter off your prospect of the week, I'm going to kind of throw in n- not necessarily a dud of the week, but one player that I've been a little disappointed in, I, I keep checking in on him all the time because I had high expectations when they drafted him, but Kirill nice Slepitz over oh. in Russia... As far as I can tell, he has five goals and seven assists in 34 games. He's playing in the Russian minor league, um, you know, after he was a KHL regular last year and kind of looked at right. returning a corner. Um, uh, it's kind of disappointing that his development's gone off track because, you know, he's definitely got NHL speed. He's not the most skilled guy, but he's got slick hands and he's definitely got some NHL qualities, but... At 5'10", he's 21 now, almost 22. Matt, I think you probably follow this situation a little closer than maybe me or Brandon. What do you kind of think's gone wrong there? I, honest to God, don't think he's played in a long time because he's been stuck at 17 games with both of the VHL teams for a while. I think he's been hurt. Yeah, yeah, it could make sense. Um, I mean... I agree that I was disappointed with his effort this season, especially because I thought, you know, he was play- he was loaned to a bad Dynamo Riga team last year and did fairly well at the beginning of the his tenure uh, with that team and then just fell off the face of the planet and didn't have a single point in the last 20-something games of the season. And we kind of saw that happen with him this year again where he'd start off really hot and then boom there's nothing um so i think his streakiness is a concern i think you know this might be a player that you're looking at five six years down the line from right now like okay can he come over and make you know a decent impact on your third or fourth line i don't think when you drafted slepitz you were looking at you know two three years in the future even though he was 20 you're looking at a guy who's like, okay, what could he be in his prime when he comes over or when he possibly comes over? So I'm not like pushing the panic button yet, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't been good this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm not pushing the panic button either, but um, the one thing that's a little worrisome for me is that I'm not, I'm not sure he really has a top six skill set, but I'm also not kind of sure he's the player that would fit in on a third or fourth line in the NHL with his size and with kind of the way he plays the game. You know, I've seen a, 
it's been a limited sample uh, based off what I've actually seen from him. But I, I know he works hard. But I mean, I'm just not sure he's a guy that would be an ideal fit, especially in Rod Brindamore's system lower down in the lineup. But like I said, on the flip side, I'm just not sure he's really got talent, uh, n- maybe the necessary talent level where you'd want him in the top six or maybe even on your power plate. I'm just, I'm not sure that he's really going to have a defined role if he ever does make it to the NHL. He might, I think he might just be a guy that, you know, sticks out in Russia for the majority of his career and maybe, maybe he emerges as a KHL or somewhere down the line. But I'm just, overall, I'm just, uh, I've been a little disappointed with the trajectory of where I expected him to be um, back, back when they drafted him in 2019 as compared to now, especially, you know, how highly rated he was, even in, his original draft year, 2017, a lot of scouts were very high on him. And just for whatever reason, he's just been passed over and passed over. And I think we're starting to see kind of a reason why now it's just, there's no real consistency in his game. And uh, I think uh, that that might be an issue for him moving forward. Right. And I mean, the one thing I will say is like, it's incredibly hard to evaluate junior players in Russia because the Russian junior uh, U20 league, the MHL is not a good league. Yeah. There are a lot, there are a handful of really good teams and then there's the rest where it's just like, you know, the rest of the teams might have one good prospect and the rest of them probably won't even make it to the KHL, you know, and it's such a toss up where, you know, when you're drafting a guy from the MHL, like it kind of is the same as, you know, drafting a player from the CHL saying, okay, well, you know, this person has this NHL quality to their game, but what are they going to be like in, you know, five, six years? As opposed to the CHL, you're like, okay, well, what can they bring to the team in about four or five years? You know, the timeline gets extended, and then there's the risk of the player getting to, you know, the KHL or even, you know, their second-tier league, the VHL, and not being able to handle, you know, the steep um, rise in competition. So, I mean, you know, there's always the risk, and I think that's part of the reason why teams are so uh, hesitant to draft Russian players. But, you know, uh, there's still hope. We hold his rights indefinitely, which there's no real timeline with him, which I guess is the the silver lining here, is that we we can afford to wait, and he's a fifth-round pick. You know, it's not really like it's going to be, you know, the end of the world. I think that's about it for the pipeline this week. It was a pretty, pretty low week for the pipeline with uh, Chicago's games getting canceled. I think now we kind of need to move to the main event here. And that's kind of talking about the trade deadline. And even though it's, you know, 20 days away at the time of recording with quarantines and everything, this could be one of those years where the trade deadline actually happens, you know, a week or two before the actual date. Just because, I mean, this is a weird year and teams are going to find a way, you know, to get around the quarantines. But I think the week or so leading up to the trade deadline is going to be more interesting. But as of right now, what would you guys say the guaranteed teams are as far as like sellers? So which teams are going to be looking to sell the most this year, you think? Well, you got the Kings, you got the Predators. Shit, who else had the Sabres, obviously. Sabres, um, the Senators, probably the Red Wings. Maybe the Devils. How are the Devils Devils, the, the Ducks, Sharks. Oh, yeah, the Ducks. And then I guess there's a few wild cards you can throw in the mix, maybe like the Rangers or maybe the Blackhawks, the Coyotes. I was um, actually going to ask about Dallas. that. Where do you guys see 
Chicago and Columbus, what do you guys kind of see them doing? Because, you know, neither one of those teams is having a good year. Chicago's performing better than expected, but they're still not playing well, you know. Um, Columbus is having a really bad year, and with the talent on that roster, I don't think they can make it very far. See, that's the thing, is a lot of teams, they don't really say we're going to be sellers or we're going to be buyers, either one. They'll look for deals that make sense for their hockey club moving forward. And, you know, like you said, I don't, neither of those teams is going to make a run, even if they do get in. So if a deal comes up that they think helps them down the road for a player that maybe doesn't factor into their future, sure, they'll sell off a few pieces. Right, well, like, I'll, I mean, I'll say this from, from those three teams, um, as far as Dallas, Columbus, and Chicago go, if any of them are going to be buyers, I would probably imagine it being Dallas just based really? off yeah just based off what they did last year and they still have a lot of their core group um in place especially if Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop come back healthy and start contributing mind you um they it announced that Joel Kibirata <laughs> uh, will be out indefinitely today which you know kind of kind of complicates things a little more for them as far as their depth goes but I, I do think they they still have some good pieces in place and as far as Chicago like I said I think they're kind of in a free fall and we've seen you know, the best of what they're going to really do this year. I'm just not sure even as good as Kevin Lankin has been, I'm not sure their goaltending can really, you know, keep up or bring them right. to where they want to get to. And then Columbus is kind of a wild card for me. I know they're well coached, but you look at their roster and you're like, you're, you just, I'm not seeing the talent maybe necessary to, to stay ahead of Dallas, especially if the race gets tight as things go. So, I, I mean, we'll see, but um, I, I could see all of them realistically end up being sellers, but if I had to guess on any of them buying, I think, you know, Dallas is probably still riding the high they had last year and probably their ownership group and, you know, front office is probably thinking, you know, we can get back to that. We just might need a tweak or two here and there and get some bodies back in and we'll be good to go. I can, I can kind of see why you would say Dallas because their core is old. Exactly. And, you know, they, ha- yes, they have high skin and they have hints they have Gurianov, who, I mean, he's all right. But the Jamie Bens of the world, Ben is 31, Pavelski's 36, Radulov is 34. You know, their defense is late 20s for the most part, and then you have Heiskanen, obviously. Hudobin's 34, Sagan is 29, so he's about to be kind of ending his prime, and wow, that contract. And then you've got Ben Bishop, who's 34, you know? So it's like... That team's window, realistically, is yeah, the next their, year or two. Their window is definitely coming to a close, which is why I would say that I don't think they're ready to kind of, you know, jump ship yet. I think they could give it another run maybe this year, you know, see right. where they're at next year. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think if they want to make a play, this is probably their best chance, their last crack at it. I think the They've got to team... win some games in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. But, like, if they don't, I <laughs> – I think it would be smart business for them. I'm not saying it's what they'll do, but it would be smart to kind of look at what their options are, at least going into And the even if they line. offloaded a guy like, you know, Andrew Cogliano, for instance. Yeah. Teams are always looking for those veteran players. I mean, we'll get to them in a minute, but you know, like some team is going to give them like a third or a fourth round pick for Cogliano. And that's something they can use to help kind of rebuild on the fly, you know, build up a prospect pool. I think the one team that I'm keeping an eye on, though, and it's not Dallas, it's not Chicago, it's Columbus. 
That's what I was going to say. So you have okay. no this idea what the hell Yarmo Kekalainen is going to do. Yeah, yeah, well, okay. So Chicago, it's like, we saw them earlier in the year. They were this like young, hungry team with a lot to prove. And they've now gotten to that point in the season where they're starting to realize how much of a grind the NHL is and it's starting to fade. You know, yeah, I think they're they gave us, gas, like you said, yeah, they're... they gave us some huge issues early in this season. You guys remember that for sure. Yeah. Um, but Columbus, they just dealt for Line A and Roslovic. Line is going to be up for a contract this offseason. So do they want to make a good impression on him and keep him around? I think Columbus is the most likely team of the ones we were talking about to be buyers here coming up. This might be another year where they kind of go balls to the wall yeah, and acquire everybody, which is not going to be the smart decision. But I mean, Columbus has to do something to keep their star talent in Columbus yeah, because they cannot, they can't Columbus can't keep star talent there. And at the end of the 22 season, they're probably going to lose Seth Jones to free agency. I can't see Jones sticking there. Zach Wierenski is going to be an RFA at the end of that season too. So he's going to have to stay, but they're, they might lose David Savard. They're probably going to lose Seth Jones in the next two years. Like, a lot of their core might not want to be on the team anymore. Well, I mean, you've got the line A situation coming up this summer, right? Which I think um, is going to paint a pretty vivid picture of the overall landscape in Columbus, you know, with how, yeah. with how kind of he's fit in there and he's already had a couple clashes with Tortorella as far as being benched and whatnot. Um, it's going to be an interesting negotiation because I mean, obviously Kekalainen, he has his vision of, you know, kind of the guys he goes for. And like, let's be honest, a lot of the guys he's brought in have been kind of more skill guys um, as compared to what you kind of define as a Tortorella player. I mean, you look back um, as far as the last couple of years, he signed Gustav Nyquist. uh, He brought on Max Domi and he brought in now Patrick Laine, which are, are kind of, you know, all offensive oriented guys. He shipped out Josh Anderson, who's more of a rugged power forward type, who seems like such a great fit for a Tortorella system. But, you know, you got to kind of wonder if there's a divide there between the vision of the coaching staff and the management, which, you know, obviously isn't a problem for the Hurricanes. But um, it's definitely going to be some there's going to be some interesting things happening in Columbus, not only at the deadline, but as you said, um, with Seth Jones's contract coming up and over the next year or so here, there's going to be there's going to be some interesting things happening in Columbus and towards yeah. his contracts up this summer too. Don't forget but, that. But anyways, I think now we should probably start talking about the hurricanes. Yeah, and if you, for sure. If you missed it this week, um, Don Waddell came out on, I believe it was Frank Saravalli's podcast and talked about how the Carolina hurricanes at the trade deadline are looking to acquire a top nine forward and possibly some help on the right side on defense. I don't think he was, very committed to that, but he said that might be something they look at. So Brandon, I guess the biggest question I have is who, who around the league do you see being a fit for the Carolina hurricanes right now? Well, (laughs) my list is long here, fellas. Um, We can talk about those players. Right. I mean, that's the idea is we're going to start with the right-handed defenseman because I was actually somewhat surprised by this. And I really don't have that long of a list here. What I am more interested to see them go after is 
a forward. An upgrade on the blue line is likely to be less impactful than like a legitimate top six forward would be. You know what I'm saying? You know what? From the options we currently have. Let let me cut in here. I I still can't understand or wrap my head around the fact that the Hurricanes are actually interested in a defenseman in any capacity at all. I mean, you've already got seven legitimate NHL defensemen. When everybody's healthy, you're already going to have either a Jake Gardner, a Hayden Fleury, or a Jake Bean, because I don't think they're going to scratch any of the other four. So you're already going to have a very quality defenseman sitting in the press box. Well, we know um, who it's going to be. On a nightly basis. I just, listen, I just, I can't I understand. I can't understand the need or the like the desire for acquiring a defenseman. You know, even if you make the argument that they want maybe a more physical guy. I mean, Hayden Fleury, when he's playing that brand, he can fit that role perfectly, not to mention that, you know, both Fleury, Bean, and Gardner, all three of them have shown they can all play on their offside and handle those kinds of minutes. I'm just, I'm stumped um, overall at the fact that they're even, you know, considering acquiring a defenseman. I have to imagine that if they do, it's probably because they're planning on moving somebody out, uh, you know, from that group, especially with the expansion draft coming up. Well, maybe you know, if they move a Gardner or a Shea for the cap space, but then you'd have to be going for a guy that's less costly. And the two guys that I'm actually more interested in are like just as expensive as Gardner slash Shea. Here's what I'm thinking. It's like Elliot Friedman said, a lot of teams mindsets around the trade deadline is you can never have too many defensemen. With the Canes, you know, oh no, Jake Gardner's hurt. Time to bring in Jake Bean. But then one of these other guys gets hurt. You're only one injury removed from playing uh, David Warsawski. Joachim Ryan or Dave yeah. Warsawski. Yeah, and that was Joey actually Keen, the next which point is fine. But yeah. in the playoffs, you don't want to have, you know, a guy making his NHL debut. Right, this is the next point I was going to make, actually. Um, Because that's really the only thing that it... One of the first thoughts I had when I heard this was Gardner's injury, they might be really worried about it. Yeah, it might be worse than we know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, this team wants to make a Stanley Cup run this year, as they should. And they don't want to have David Warsawski or Joachim Ryan or, you know, young Joey Keane, who is tracking towards being a valuable NHL player, but is not there right this second. So, you know, you can go for a guy that you're a little bit more comfortable with that's been in the NHL that provides something on your back end. And along with that, another guy that I was really interested in from Anaheim is Josh Manson. Mm -hmm. Um, He brings an element the Hurricanes don't have. He's big and he's, Covers a lot of ground, and he's physical. Yeah, he's rugged. Very, very rugged defenseman that I, I think he's probably probably my number one choice because, like I said, he has that element the Hurricanes don't really have. You come across the middle of the ice with your head down, and he's going to plant you. So uh, what, what's his contract looking like? Manson is on a $4.1 million contract for one more year after this one. So, like I said, right in that same range as uh, Gardner and Shea, like I said a few minutes ago. Um, with a modified no trade, but we're in an era of hockey where that's probably less impactful on the Hurricanes because players probably <laughs> wouldn't really mind coming here like they would have used to. Right. I don't hate that. I, you know what? I like Josh Manson. I always have. I think he'd be a great addition to the team. But at the same time, is it worth paying him that much money to sit in the press box? And that's the only concern I would have. I don't no, think guy. he'd be in the press box if they got him. I think he'd be on the third yeah, pair and I, it would send I, a guy I, like Flurry or Bean or somebody to the press box. Right. 
And I mean, you know, say what you will. Um, Bean and Flurry have kind of had a few not so great games as of late. So maybe, you know, the Hurricanes are kind of sensing a trend where like, hey, you know what? Like Jake Bean and Hayden Flurry might be really good, but we need to have some space on the back end for that to work. And so yeah. maybe they go out and acquire a more like steady presence in Manson. But I'm thinking if the Canes are looking for a guy, you know what, to be like a better taxi squad option or a guy, you know, who could maybe come in on your third pair and uh, maybe chip in some offense. I think you have to look at Troy Stetcher from Detroit. I mean, this is a guy who has 300 NHL games, was kind of unfairly treated in Vancouver. He was kind of there with Justin Falk. As in, you know, like anytime a defenseman made a mistake, everybody blames Stetcher. Anytime a goal was let in, it was Stetcher's fault. You know, like, yeah. This is a guy who, you know, in spite of all of that, is a good playmaker. I like his vision. I think he plays with a lot of pace, which is something that Rod Brindamore is going to value. And I mean, you know, this is a player who you could probably get for a third round pick. And he's got an extra year on his contract if you want to maybe ship him out to uh, Seattle in exchange for, you know, another draft pick or something. Or if you want to keep him as a third pairing option for next year, you know, so you would have some options. Yeah. Like a new TV, like a new TVR. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no. For, for me, um, you know, for me, the only thing is like you guys just said um, with the Seattle draft coming up, considering the guys, the hurricanes are already going to have to protect on the back end. You definitely can't be acquiring anybody with term that you'd also want to protect it just based on the cost to acquire a said player, it just, it wouldn't make sense, um, you know, kind of from the, the overall perspective of what they're going to do at the expansion draft. You're not going to acquire Manson if, you know, the asking price is a first round pick, um, especially if you can't protect them from Seattle. So I, I think the Hurricanes will probably be more in the market for a rental if they do make a move at all um, on the blue line, which I still don't love um, as a potential option. You know, the one guy that would be on my list is probably Brandon Montour, who hasn't really, you know, things haven't kind of gone the way maybe people would have expected in Buffalo. He's not really getting power play minutes. And, you know, he, he kind of really hasn't established an identity there the way, you know, I kind of would have thought or imagined, especially giving up what they did to get him. Um, but if you want to talk about um, a right-handed pending UFA defenseman, who, you know, might make sense or interest the Hurricanes, can I interest you guys in um, maybe a New Jersey Devils defenseman, Sammy Votnin? Oh, so we can give them another top rookie scorer? Yeah, let's not do that. So who, who, who's, the, who's the prospect uh, we want to purge this time? Who's going to go to New Jersey and emerge, and then, you know, Votnin can just resign it's, there again this it's summer? It's going to be Morgan Jeez. Geeky, and he's going to pop off for 10 <laughs> goals. And then, and he's then going to pull a UC Jokinen and score a hat trick against the Canes in his just, first game against be, the goddamn team. This is going to become just a, a never-ending cycle where Sammy Votnin at the deadline gets traded to the Hurricanes. <laughs> plays it out with the Hurricanes, and then goes back to the Devils on a one-year deal, and then next year at the trade deadline, we'll be talking. So what are we going to give up for Sammy Votnin? He always has some undisclosed injury that prevents him from playing. (laughs) That prevents him from playing, so he can go back to to New Jersey, just come in here, get intel from the Hurricanes, sabotage (laughs) us, and go back to New Jersey. Before we move on to the forwards, you did kind of gloss over and barely mention the last guy I had on my list, so I am going to circle back to him real quick. But Brandon Montour in Buffalo, I mean, it's another solid right shot mobile defenseman that kind of provides a little bit of everything. His numbers have tanked in Buffalo, but 
you can't really fault him for that. Both can of the you? Sabres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. just two years ago, he had eight goals and 35 points. And that was between Anaheim and the Sabres. So it's not like he was really playing with some offensive juggernaut and padding his point totals. Um, he's the, good the defensively. Only- Eats minutes and he's a UFA after this uh, after this year, so I don't think that would be a bad addition at all. Yeah, I'd say that's the only disappointing thing about um, Montour is is that he's a UFA after this season. You know, if if Buffalo didn't screw things up and uh, you know actually manage the situation better, I'm pretty sure he'd be an RFA um, this summer. But that also drives his price down a little bit, and it doesn't yeah, hamper us for extensions. Yeah, yeah, but like, yes, yes, but I mean, you'd still be acquiring more of an asset than you know just a, a purely a rental. Um, and I, I think the price for him will thing, still be man. pretty high. I you think, know. you know what, Buffalo is going to realize that in order for the team to actually improve, they're going to need to rebuild again. Yeah. And it sucks. It's I, I, I do feel bad for Buffalo Sabres fans because we've been there. Yeah. <laughs> they've, like, been, they've been rebuilding for 10 years, but when, the, well, you know, so you guys Ron are going to have to rebuild again. Right, but when Ron Francis took over it, it felt like the Canes were rebuilding again, you know? Different situations, because with the Canes, I guess it really felt like we were finally rebuilding. But the team hadn't been competitive for five years. But it's like, you just have, with the Sabres, a team that hasn't been good for ten years. Very clearly has a team that just doesn't care anymore. You're going to need to start offloading some of the guys that have been with the team for a long time. And you're going to need to just start instilling that culture of winning. That was so important as we saw when Tom Dundon, Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore kind of took over the reins here, but forwards now, I mean, this is kind of where it gets interesting because this is kind of where, you know, the field might get a little bigger with a team like maybe Los Angeles, uh, deciding to sell at the deadline, maybe, you know, one of Chicago or Columbus and even, you know, maybe even Arizona. I know they're not having a great season, shockingly. Yeah, there's a lot of forwards that I'm actually really intrigued by. Um, I mean, again, we'll go back to some of the teams that are pretty obvious sellers like Buffalo. Um, there's a couple of names there. And then Nashville, I got a couple of players on my list. When well, we can't not about... talk about Eric Stahl. We, we we have to start this off. I think going really right into this, <laughs> right. We got to go right into the Stahl's talk. You know, just kind of get it out of the way. Um, <laughs> you, it's everywhere on social media, right? I mean, everybody's talking about Eric Stahl. Maybe going back to the Hurricanes, and it's what the Hurricanes fans either want or don't want. You know, some are so for it that you know they're campaigning on the the Sabres Twitter page that trade Eric Stahl to Carolina, or. You've got then the other side of it, the other extreme, where it's like, we don't want him by any means. He's a locker room cancer and this and that. And it'll be going backwards in terms of, you know, what's going on. And So uh, where do you guys stand on this? If you can get Eric Stahl for a reasonable price of maybe, you know, a second or third round pick, or maybe you trade a full goal or something for him, I don't know. Where do you guys stand on the whole Eric Stahl situation? That can't be your big deadline move if you're trying to improve the team that much. That's where I stand on it. If you, I, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's a useless player. I don't think it would be going backwards and he's a locker room cancer or any of that garbage. But I also think he's a marginal upgrade. I mean, that's it. If you really want to shore up this team's top nine and add a more dynamic scoring threat, I'm not sure age, what, 30? 536 Eric Stahl is yeah I'm not sure that is like oh the Canes are gonna win the cup now 
don't know about all that. <laughs> well, here's where so. I stand. The Canes are a team that, as constructed, are one piece away from winning the Stanley Cup. And I think it's only just, you know, another, again, you said a marginal upgrade. I, I think that even at 36, Eric Stahl is a better forward offensively than, you know, Warren Fogle on the third well, yeah. line. So, you know, I think if you make that improvement to the roster, you've instantly improved your team and put them into maybe not like Tampa level consideration, but where, you know what, you could contend in a series against Tampa and you know what, he might be maybe not the guy that pushes the needle, but he'll definitely help. And I think the Canes are a good enough team to kind of hold their own and possibly even win a series against Tampa. So Stahl would provide a little bit of an extra push. I don't think he fits the system. I don't. He doesn't. I don't think don't he's like that good skater that's going to like. Yeah. Yeah. But Let's if see. you're looking for an offensive addition, I think you at least have to consider him, you know? Yeah. He can like help on your second power play unit and, you know, maybe he'll match up pretty well with his brother. I mean, that, I don't that, know. See, but... that's where I kind of stand on the whole thing is if you take Eric Stahl and you drop him in on your third line and you've got him with his brother, Jordan. All of a sudden, you've got two guys who are six foot four, like two hundred twenty pounds. That's a beefy line, right like, there. Like, and and then I don't know who you'd play with them. Maybe Jesper Foss, maybe a Brock McGinn. I'm not quite sure, but I mean, my God, as far as the third line goes, those guys are just going to be, you know, breaking down the opposition. You can match them up against any line that you really want to play them against. If you want to play them as a shutdown line, um, if you want to play them purely matchup base, or I'm I'm sure those guys can you know, exploit deficiencies from other third lines around this league. I, I mean, I think as far as the fit goes, there, there's a lot to like strictly from uh, an outsider's point of view, but I haven't really watched a lot of Eric Stahl this year, so I, I can't really speak on how he's playing. But, you know, if he's engaged, if he's willing to be physical, and, you know, if he's dialed in, and I'm sure obviously coming back to Carolina, there'd be a lot of nostalgia for him. You know, he'd be reunited with his brother, so... I'm sure he'd be pumped up. I'm sure he'd be ready to go. Uh, I do think the the Hurricanes have a lot to gain from an ad like that. But, I mean, you do have to consider the other side of it where, you know, if things go wrong, obviously. He'll be the whipping boy again. He'll be the whipping boy, and you'll have all the stuff coming up from the past of, you know, why'd you bring Eric Stahl back? And, and, you know. Here's uh, the thing. I'm loving how many people right now are acting like they know what Eric Stahl was like in the locker room and what he was like as a person. Do you remember how bad his teammates were, by the way? Let's just oh my out there too. <laughs> God, do you remember how bad these Canes teams were? And yeah. people are acting like, you know, Eric Stahl like murdered their firstborn child. <laughs> it's like, I got a mention today who was talking about, no, like he's not a good fit for our locker room. Like, how do you know that? Are you in the locker room every day? Yeah, it's way off base. It makes no sense to me. You don't know these players. You don't. So how can you sit here and say like, oh, Eric Stahl's not going to be a fit for this team because he had a bad attitude when he left Carolina after half a decade of playing with these terrible players. How? And you know what? I don't even think the split was all that bad. I think at that kind of at that po- at that point of his career, I think kind of you know with Ron Francis coming in as the general manager and kind of with Stahl where he was at that point, I think both sides knew full well 
you know, that kind of going their own separate way and each having a fresh start would be best best for both parties, not only Stahl and the Hurricanes, but um, yeah, I mean, as far as bringing him back now, I mean, if you think Eric Stahl is going to come in with his brother as the captain, the leader of this group now, if you think he's going to come in and, and make any waves or, you know, I uh, had one argument, uh, I don't remember, I think it was from Kane's Facebook, but they were like, oh, oh one, one person said, oh, oh, I can't, I can't imagine Eric Stahl coming into the locker room now and being happy with Jordan Stahl having taken over the team and taken over as captain. When I'm just like, I, I just, what do you believe, think this is? I just bro. couldn't oh believe that God. angle. I mean, he's been gone five years. His brother is leading the team now for Christ's sakes. I mean, hey, this isn't high school. Oh, I exactly. don't have any sympathy for you for getting in an argument with somebody on Kane's like, Facebook, he's to be gonna, fair. He, just say Eric that. Stahl, Eric Stahl will come in. He will be a good member of the team. He will help lead. You know, he, he's been in the playoffs. He knows what it takes to win. I mean, I can't, right. I can't, uh, as far as like, as the person goes, I, I have absolutely no no issues with Eric Stahl going back into that locker room and helping out the group. My only question is, is he going to be a big enough upgrade on the ice? And the last thing I'll say, if you're looking for a rental, he's a pretty good option. He's on a good contract. He, you know what, has a better nose for the net than a guy like Warren Fogle, who's on your third line most nights. And you know what? Eric Stahl's 36 years old. He's a grown-ass man who will step into the role with whatever team he's traded to and get the job done because he knows that's what he has to do. There's not going to be any power plays in the Canes locker room where, you know, Eric Stahl's going to, like, Game of Thrones this shit. <laughs> like, he's just going to come in here and get his job done. And so I don't see why Kane's Twitter – well, I do – because they have an irrational hatred from a guy who gave nothing but his very best to this franchise and carried some god-awful teams. I don't think it would be that bad. But I don't know if the Canes go that route. I think it would be the obvious route. So there's going to be a team willing to outbid them. As far as dramatic um, upgrades go, I've kind of got two guys in mind. Both of them would be in team control beyond just this year because – I don't really love uh, giving up assets for a rental. I don't care what kind of position your team is in because I don't think the Hurricanes window is close to closing at all. I don't think you have really to give up, you know, any assets or anything that will help your future right now strictly for a rental player because, you know, I think they they still have a long time they can compete. So the two guys I've been looking more into is obviously Victor Arvidsson from Nashville, who we've talked um, about on previous podcasts. I I wrote an article that, you know, he was kind of, he was kind of the centerpiece uh, around. Beyond that, um, it, it really depends on what direction um, Arizona decides they want to go. I mean, they got a whole new management committee and stuff there, but I think Connor Garland would just be an exceptional fit, probably exactly what the Hurricanes are looking for in their middle six. You know, he's, he's undersized, but my God, he plays rugged. Um, he goes at anybody, and he's got a nose for the net. He's leading that team in points. He can finish. He can score play all situations he's not going to be cheap mind you but I mean as far as you know as far as a fit and uh, a player that would fit your group to a T I think he'd probably be my number one um, option like I said he's not going to be cheap you're definitely probably going to be looking at you know probably a first first round pick and maybe a good prospect uh, to get him but like I said he'd be in team control moving forward 
it all depends if Arizona would want to move him. But like I said, as far as a fit goes, I'm not sure I can find a better one than him. So I have both of those guys on my list. And both of them I see as being very difficult to actually envision a scenario where they get here. Uh, with Arvidsson, from a purely player standpoint, he makes fantastic sense to me. He's kind of a by-low guy because he struggled the last couple of years with Nashville, but he's super talented, and I think his production would bounce back in a hurry playing alongside, you know, Aho, Trocek, Svechnikov, whoever. But I think that trade – are you comfortable making that trade for Dougie Hamilton? Because that's kind of essentially how I feel like with the cap situation – adding that four plus million dollar contract to your books. I mean, that's, that's the end of the Dougie Hamilton era in Carolina. I, I don't see how you fit him back in with a raise this off season with a flat cap coming up uh, and Garland. I, the first time I saw Connor Garland live, I was, and it was like before it was a couple of years ago. It was before he was really like a big name. I, my eyes were fixated on him the entire game. I mean, he's just he's a, a fantastic fun player, player. Yeah, absolutely. Super quick and just has the puck on the string all the time. And, I mean, he would – awesome, awesome addition to our top six. And, you know, he's barely making any money this year and then is an RFA, so he's going to get a big raise as well, like a big raise. You, you, he's you scoring can, a nearly a point You can envision him on a, on a bridge deal, but yeah. But he – you know, it's still going to be at least 4 or $5 million. And, and that's if you're getting most, like – Most likely. Like a – pretty good deal so that's kind of the same situation as Arvidsson so you're gonna have to pay a premium to get him out of Arizona first of all because he has team control like you said and again that just kind of pushes Dougie Hamilton out I don't know it's this is kind of a complex situation we're in here you know the Hurricanes haven't been in this scenario before where you have to add in this other layer of holy crap we don't have any cap room (laughs) like I'm not used to this we're in uncharted territory here (laughs) seriously but I mean I I, I love both those guys um I I have two picks that I like a little bit better that I'll get to later but Matt I'll let you I'll let you uh give your thoughts on those two first man this sucks because in a perfect world, we'd find a way to get at least one of these guys on our team. But, Brandon, you made a good point. If you're serious about keeping Dougie Hamilton here, and it seems like for the most part the Canes are, in my opinion, and this is just me, this one random guy on Canes Twitter that really only talks about prospects, in my opinion, you go with a rental this year because of the flat cap, and because you've got two huge extensions coming up. Yep, I totally that's, agree. That's just my opinion. Now, if you can find a way, if Eric Tolsky can find a way to, you know, bippity-boppity-boo the cap space and just, you know, make it happen, awesome. And you know what? Give that man the GM of the Year award right now. <laughs> if he can find a way to acquire a Victor Arvidsson type player and still get the Svetch and Hamilton extensions done, while being under the cap and keeping the team competitive. But personally, I think this is the year for a rental just because of those reasons. So that's all I'll say, because I mean, I I've kind of prepared myself for that not happening. All right. Well, you've perfectly allowed me a segue into my number one target for the Carolina hurricanes at this trade deadline, LA Kings forward, Alex, I follow. If you don't know who he is, you should, he's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's playing in LA, so he doesn't, you know, 
he doesn't get the attention he deserves. He's really good in all three zones. He had 43 points in 70 games last year, including 17 goals. He has 20 points, including seven goals in 30 games this year on a team that is not necessarily known for scoring a ton of goals. Um, he can play in all situations. Uh, he has killed penalties for them. It's actually pretty dangerous shorthanded as well. He's not a big guy, but he competes, man. He's quick, smooth hands. He's a lot like Trocek, actually. So many of his goals come from getting to the front of the net, deflections, rebounds, being in the right place. Super smart. I think he fits anywhere in our top nine. You put him on any line, he will thrive. He will produce. And he's a UFA after this summer. You can, well, you're probably not going to re-sign him. But I think he would be a fantastic pickup for this roster. Yeah, I actually, I agree. I actually think he'd be a pretty good fit. Um, you know, this might sound a little a little pathetic, but um, the first time I actually really noticed how good of a player uh, Ayafalo was is when Ilya Kovalchuk first came back to the NHL and signed in with um, with Los Angeles. I wanted to watch, you know, how he how he transitioned, how he'd look back. And when I was watching the Kings games, is actually when you know Ayafalo kind of stood out to me, and I was like, this guy is uh, pretty good, you know, from a guy I've never heard of coming right from uh, college right into the NHL, no transition into the AHL. You know, it's, you got to be a pretty good player to do that. And um, like, like you said, I think he's definitely a player that would probably be a very good fit as far as what Rod Brindamore looks for in a player. He's responsible in all zones. You know, he's never going to cheat. He's never going to coast. You're, you, you don't have to worry about him as a player. So I do think he'd be a good fit. I'm just, I'm not sure as far as a third liner goes or, you know, because he'd probably be realistically playing in the Hurricanes' bottom six. I'm just not sure he's got enough talent um, offensively to kind of really make a big difference if he's playing in that kind of a role. Um, I, I know he definitely does have a little bit of skill, but... He's it, better than Eric Stahl. I mean... <laughs> he is. He's a better player. I mean, I just think I follow. He's kind of... Like, he's definitely an upgrade on the Hurricanes' bottom six as forwards, but, like, you know, he's kind of on the same same mold as kind of, like, maybe a yes for Foss, or, you know, he's... he. he I'm not just not sure he's that dynamic offensively where he's that big of an upgrade if you're going to be playing him in your bottom six group because you're not going to be playing him above Svechnikov or Natchez or Taravainen on the wing. So, as based off where he fits, I, I like him as a fit. I'm just not sure how much he moves the needle. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and I think he can play pretty much anywhere in this top nine, not just yeah. on the third or fourth line. I think yeah, he can well, I, I easily think be, slot in. I think he'd be on the third line. But how much is he going to give but you on the third line? What does Rod Brindamore's line matter, really? Once right. this team is healthy yeah, again, yeah, that, if you that, have him, fair. if your third line is Jordan Stahl, Andre Svechnikov, and Alex Iafalo, I guarantee you he produces. Yeah, yeah. but my, my biggest thing is I'm hoping that Andre Svechnikov won't be on that line. You know, well, I'm, hoping too, be, I'm hoping you'll be. I'm hoping you'll be in the top six, maybe with a Trocheck, <laughs> with a Trocheck and a Teravainen. That's that's have how we I envision seen anything to suggest that might happen. <laughs> so, um, obviously, having the highest hopes for the Hurricanes moving forward this year, as far as being successful in the playoffs, I don't think you can do that with Spetsnikov on your third line. He's got to be in your top six. Right. He's got to be contributing. You got to have him going. So, if you well, add one more like legitimately good player, then it doesn't yeah. matter as much. You know? Yeah, like I follow gives the team a legitimately good player. Right. Here's my thing. I'd love to have him on the roster. I think he'd be a great addition. He was actually one of the players that I was thinking about having where, you know what, like you can get even, you know, five, 10 points from him in your last 10, 15 games. That's awesome. 
I don't know how many points is like a reasonable expectation, but this seems like a player who's good for about 40 points a year, maybe more depending on who he's playing with. So if you can get that out of him, if you can get, you know, half a point per game pace, that's solid. Now, the only thing is, you know, quarantine, is he going to adjust to the team? You know, all the hoops that you have to jump through this year, like, is it worth giving up? Because, I mean, realistically, what are you looking at for a follow? Um, he's a rental, so... You're probably maybe looking a at a pick and maybe like a mid-tier prospect. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like a third and a solid prospect, you probably get it done. Is it is it worth, on like the highest end, giving up Morgan Geeky and a third-round pick for however many regular season games and however many playoff games of Alex Iafalo. If you think it puts you in the best position to win the Stanley cup. Yes. Yeah. And that's I mean, what it comes down to. And here's the thing. If the Canes win the cup, it doesn't it really matter what you gave matter up, what they gave up. Yeah. yeah. To a degree. You know what? They can, <laughs> they can give up hypothetically, you know, obviously this is never going to happen. But it was like the Canes win the Stanley cup this year. I would have been perfectly fine if they traded Seth Jarvis at the deadline, if it meant we could have won the cup. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like nobody's talking about how Tampa gave up like almost three first round picks at last year's deadline. Right. Everybody's talking about how Barclay Goodrow and, and Blake, Coleman. Blake Coleman helped them win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So I mean, you know, <laughs> like if if the Canes can swing a deal for Iafalo and knowing full well that he probably won't be back next season just because of the flat cap, obviously it'd be awesome to bring him back, you know. Yeah, I, think so I do think he fits he'd well. He'd be a good hurricane. Yeah. But realistically, it's probably not going to happen. And like I said, he was one of the guys that I was considering. And so if you're comparing it, what you're looking at for Iafalo, since he's younger, since he has a higher ceiling right now, and, you know, since honestly he's kind of more of a hot commodity, you're probably looking at obviously not like this exact trade, but something like Morgan Geeky plus a third-round pick for Alex Iafalo. Whereas for Eric Stahl, you're probably looking at like a third and maybe another late round pick. Yeah, I figured maybe yeah, say, if third, even that a third alone. Yeah. Spot. Yeah. yeah. So it all it all it all depends. And I think, you know, what we're looking at is for a defenseman, like if you guys are going out and acquiring like a Troy Stetcher, I'm only giving up like a fourth round pick if I'm just getting the guy for like the taxi yeah. squad. That's the yeah, absolute sure. most I'm giving up. And realistically, the Canes are probably going to go out, and I'm not saying acquire like Michael Delzato, the player, please don't. But like they're probably going to acquire a Michael Delzato type like the Jets did a couple of years ago where he's just going to be a guy to be your seventh defenseman. He's just going to be a warm body if you need him to be there. You know, just give up a sixth round pick. It won't matter. And that's probably what I'm looking at. Now, if you're looking at, you know, acquiring like a, Josh Manson, you're looking at a second round pick and a pretty decent prospect. Yeah. You're looking at probably Jack Drury plus. I I think with Manson, uh, considering he has term left, if you're Anaheim, why would you give him up for less than a first? Well, I mean, if the prospect's good enough. uh, uh, Even then. I don't know if you're getting a first for Manson. closer to being NHL ready. He's a a legitimate top 4D for me. um, He is. So a a couple other guys that – I figure at least worth uh, mentioning. We talked a little bit today in our Twitter chat about Bobby Ryan from Detroit. 
obviously, you know, he's got fantastic character and, you know, a hell of a year. He's having a good year in Detroit. Like, you know, obviously as a, as a sense, as a Ottawa native and, you know, a sense fan, I have a lot of familiarity with the player, obviously as a, as a person and as a, as a fit, I know he'd be, you know, just a fantastic guy to have in that locker room. You know, I'm obviously happy for him, the resurgence he's having in uh, Detroit. And, you know, he, he didn't play badly for Ottawa last year, a couple of years ago, uh, like for a couple of straight years in Ottawa, at least, you know, he kind of was kind of underwhelming and didn't really have the pace that you're really looking for, which is kind of the only reason that I don't, I'm not sure he'd be a great fit in Carolina, just because, you know, he's obviously like pace has never really been the main part of his game and he still doesn't skate well. It's obviously not getting better with age, but um you know, I will say in 2017, he still had the same problems playing him then. And um, when the when the Sens were in, you know, their, their deep playoff run that year, he was probably the best forward on their team and probably their second most important player after Eric Carlson. I mean, he just took over games uh, in that playoff run against Boston um, and against Pittsburgh in the semifinal. It, it felt like every goal he scored uh, was a meaningful goal. He'd pop up at the right times. He was just all over the place. So, you know, he's he's definitely got a good track record um, as far as playoff history goes. So I, I do think he'd be a good fit in that regard. And I think he could definitely help um, the second power play unit. I mean, in his time in, in Ottawa, as, as a net front guy, he was always really solid. But beyond that, behind the net and below the goal line, uh, he would just overpower guys routinely. And, you know, he... He doesn't get enough credit as a passer, but he could really distribute the puck from behind the net. So I think beyond just, you know, maybe helping out as far as, you know, adding size and power to the bottom six, he could definitely help improve the power play unit as well. And I don't think he's a guy that would be overly expensive to acquire. So I don't know how you guys feel about the move, but I also like the idea maybe of adding Bobby Ryan to the bottom six. Yeah, I mean... He's on a hell of a contract. It's just $1 million this year. And that's cheap. It leaves you with the option of maybe acquiring somebody else too. Yeah. Or saving that cap space for, you know what? It might not hurt to save that cap space because the Canes are going to have bonuses this year with ELCs. So with the flat cap, that like bonus penalty is going to hurt teams even more. So I'd like the idea of acquiring Bobby Ryan simply because, you know, throw him in on the second power play unit if you wanted to. And on the third line, I think, you know what, like he he does add like another big body to the Canes bottom six. And I don't know what a realistic trade would look for him. Honestly, his trade value is probably a little higher right now just because of the season he's having with Detroit. But... I'd say you're probably still looking at maybe a third, something around that ballpark, maybe a yeah. third or... You know, like maybe a couple mids, like a fourth and a fifth, something like that. I can't, I can't see it being overly high because I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily see him fitting into the long term future of what they're building in Detroit. So it's kind of you know take what you can get for him and you know let him go on and help out another group, maybe take a run at a cup and yeah, um, give him. I mean, chances are he's going to retire pretty soon. Give him one last chance at getting a cup before he calls it quits. Yeah. So I don't hate the idea of making that move. Again, it's more just like, is it enough? And that's my thing. And like, I don't hate the move either. And Bobby Ryan's a super easy guy to pull for. Love the player, love the story, all that. But you're getting a guy that will help your second power play unit. But other than that, 
I just don't see him fitting with our, you know, up-tempo style. It's, and, you know, that's what Alex pointed out. But, and, you know, if they make the move, I'm not going to be upset about it by any stretch of the imagination, but I just don't think if they really want to upgrade the top nine, Bobby Ryan, they can point to that and say, this is what we did to prepare for a Stanley Cup run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. there are very few moves the that thing, the though, Canes like, could make that would make me Exactly. Like, upset. I'm just not sure how many, you know, viable options there are out there for the Hurricanes to really, you know, consider doing and then have their fan base be like, wow, you know, that I think that made us considerably better. And now I see us as a legitimate cup contender. Like, unless you're going out, even if you go out and acquire um, an Arvidsson type, or like you said, uh, like we talked about earlier, a Garland type, I, I'm, I'm not even sure that's going to move the needle enough um, in the eyes of maybe Hurricanes fans, you know, people that don't really follow closely enough. Like, you might have to go out and acquire, acquire maybe like a Philip Forsberg uh, <laughs> to really get people to buy into that kind of hype. You're never going to move the needle for Canes fans because Canes fans will never be happy. (laughs) Canes fans, I love you. I'm sorry. But it's true. We will never be happy about anything good that happens to this team. Well, let me give you a couple more names. And these are a couple more that have team control. So it would take some financial dancing to make it happen and to keep yourself comfortable moving forward. Like I said, with Dougie Hamilton, like we all discussed moving forward. One of those... All right. I have one I really like and one I just kind of want to throw out there to get you guys' opinion of. So I'll start with that one. Um, Pending restricted free agent from Buffalo, Sam Reinhart. Yes. I think that would be a really good move because, you know, he'd slot really nicely in our top six. First of all, he's a really talented sniper. I mean, just good offensive IQ all around. He could put up points and Jack Eichel excluded. He's never played with, you know, the deep, top six he would get to play with here you know even playing with Eichel they were like the main focus of every team's defensive game plan every single night so he'd be able to come in here and slide into more of a kind of secondary scoring role and I think you know anywhere in our again top nine even that would be a needle moving player yeah I mean it just goes to goes back to the point where I mean I'd love the player I'd love to have him on the team but is it worth you know possibly losing Dougie Hamilton well do you think you could send somebody back the other way I mean I don't know it's it's tough to it's it's quite sort of project these kind of deals the thing is though Buffalo if they're if they're losing Sam Reinhart they're probably going to want somebody young in return well what if we give them somebody young and then even add in like a first round pick. Like for, for me, I, then... think, I think Buffalo would probably be looking for um, defense. I mean, well, that's what at, I'm saying. Look at their defense Even Brady overall. Shea. I don't think it would be. I think, I think if you're, if you're looking to deal with Buffalo legitimately for a Sam Reinhardt type, uh, the conversation probably Bean. starts around Jake Bean or Hayden Fleury. Um, yeah. I, it plus oh. plus, right? I mean. It, it won't start around Hayden Fleury. Alex, I know you love Hayden Flurry, but he's not fetching Sam Reinhart. Yeah, it's well, I mean, like I said, it's it's definitely whether it's Bean or Flurry, it's plus plus. I mean, you're you're gonna have to add quite a bit to to either of those players if you're gonna acquire a guy of you know Sam Reinhart's caliber, and then you've also got to factor in what kind of money he's gonna want. I mean, he's still RFA controlled, but he's 25 now, so it's not like you you've really got you know, time to see how he fits into your group, maybe give him a bridge deal or anything of that sort. It's if you're acquiring him, he's here for the long haul. You've got to pay him what he's going to want. 
Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how the, the Hurricanes front office would feel about that. I mean, personally, I think he'd be a great fit um, to add another right shot sniper to that top top six group, even the top nine. Uh, would would definitely be dynamic for the Hurricanes, but um, he'll be expensive in terms of both, you know, cost to acquire, and um, you know, a contract extension for him. So it, it's it's definitely a tough one to to kind of project. But uh, I like the fit. Yeah, but maybe that's you know that's kind of where uh, GMs earn their money, right? And Don Waddell's a pretty good GM. Maybe he figures out a way to you know. Even if he has to throw in an Anthony Honka or Jack Drury or another prospect on top of the, you know, the original deal to get them to take Brady Shea or Jake Gardner's contract even. And then you've got that $4 million freed up. So maybe that doesn't close the book on a Dougie Hamilton extension. And, you know, you'll look at it in the off season to figure out what you can pay Sam Reinhardt or if I guess even would be, which yeah, the, again, if you're giving up that much to get him here, you, you can't you better sign around him. and be like, like you better right, sign right. The only right. thing I'd say is, you know, at that that price, um, that Sam Reinhardt's probably going to want. Can't see him coming in under like the six, seven million dollar range, um, you know, for obviously max term probably. Um, you know, at, at that in that he hasn't case, scored at that elite of a level. Like, you know, he's, he's scored at a you, you pretty just, you know, solid you know how second contracts line goal in the NHL. You know how these things go. So I can't see like, that's from from a neutral standpoint. That's what I'm going to assume. But, you know, maybe at that point, I would probably just consider, you know, maybe a Victor Arvidsson who might not quite have the highest, uh, the high upside, maybe that you'd expect from uh, Reinhardt, especially he's a couple of years younger, but you'd have Arvidsson locked in at a pretty decent cap hit. And, you know, he showed the kind of upside he had uh, with three thirty goal years. If you can get him back to that level, I think even, you know, his price uh, as far as acquiring him. Uh, might be cheaper than a Reinhardt today. Like I said, I do like Reinhardt as a potential fit. Uh, just, I, I think the Hurricanes might have um, a, a couple options that just make more sense. All right, well, this kind of piggybacks pretty nicely off what we were just talking about. And if you don't want to give up all that much, there's one other player. He has one year left on his deal at $3.8 million. Uh, he's out in Anaheim. That's Ricard Raquel. Um, this is a guy that's scored 30 goals in each of his last two seasons in which he played at least 70 games. Anaheim is not good. They do not put up a lot of points, and he's continuously produced out there. He's pretty young. From, yeah, he's only 27. He's about to turn 28 in May, and you have him for one more year. I think that would be another potentially good target, and at only $3.8 million, you're not handcuffing yourself too much. Yep, I totally agree. I love him. Uh, I'd acquire him probably in a heartbeat as long as the asking price isn't ridiculous. I think he'd be a nice fit, and uh, – that's all I really really have to say. Like, how can you not love that fit? Yeah, it's a good sniper to have. You know, put him alongside. You're probably not going to bump Nietzsche off that top line, but if you can put you him know, anywhere, anywhere in the top yeah. nine, and he can reasonably produce with how he plays the game, so I think he'd be a, a, a beautiful fit wherever you put him in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> fairly cost controlled, um, mm-hmm. and you know what? Like, if the Canes can emerge as a top contender, because there's going to be some team that's going to offer something stupid for Raquel yeah we know what's going to happen we know there's going to be a team that's going to offer like just some absolutely crazy deal another player that I was going to consider was maybe you know what if you don't get Ricard Raquel Danson Heinen's not terrible he's not great but you know what he's another third line forward who can play the body a little bit and kind of has that scoring Warren Fogle 
type yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's kind of the player I kept thinking about with Heinen too. But he, but, but he's then he got version. put on the COVID list today, so probably not. Oh, well, that sucks too. And Heinen, yeah, he's a pretty solid player, and he's another guy that kind of since his Boston days, you know, he had a, I think he had almost fifty points one season. Um, playing on their second line and since then it's kind of been all downhill for him he's not really been put in a position to succeed like that quite as much but that's another player that is that enough I don't know yeah I but it, that's maybe a fallback option if you don't I don't, get, I don't think he moves the asking price is too high yeah yeah but uh so he, I, I mean at one point you thought he was a rising star in the league you know like I said right. he had one really big season with Boston and then since then it's just kind of been a just struggle been, for him it's just been downhill so, so I, I have one more player um, that's maybe not the best fit for the team, but definitely would add some offense. And that's Andreas Athanasiu. Last year, I mean, you know, we saw he didn't fetch a ton of a return didn't, for didn't Edmonton. Didn't he go for two seconds? I thought it was like two thirds. But like, that's another mm-hmm. player who he's an RFA, so the Canes could stand to either you know sign him or just qualify him and then maybe dump him on a a team like Seattle or something that might need contracts for next year well, so see, that's the I, only thing that i can think of as another possible option for the top nine from the teams that we know that are gonna sell right now yeah like 30 I, goals a few years ago that's why I, I i thought la would be you know probably a great situation for him to succeed i, I thought edmonton would be a fantastic spot uh, for him so i i couldn't believe how things went for him there last year i just i can't wrap my head around him not being able to to settle into a lineup with you know mcdavid and and Dreitzel, well, two two guys that can actually skate at his pace. That's what I'm saying. He's that's, like one of the few players on the planet that can skate it. Yeah, that can skate level. with McDavid. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so I just I don't understand right. it. Um, he, he he's in LA this year. I'm just taking a quick look at his stats. He's got six goals and 12 points in 23 games. Uh, three only three goals in his last 20 games. Like I said, whew. with I mean, his like, speed, I think you could I do mean, worse than him. Exactly. Like I just I love like you know, from a, a guy who just, you know, just a pers- purely a hockey perspective. Um, I, I love the player, right? He's like, he's as exciting as, as a player you'll find out there. I mean, a guy who can skate like that, shoot like that, you know, for like from an optical standpoint, I'd say, you know, get him in the lineup. He can fit in with this group. It's just, as far as the fit, I mean, he doesn't play much defense and yeah. he's, he's not a physical guy either. I mean, he's, he's big. He just, he doesn't play physically at all. So I, I'm not sure about how the fit would be. I also don't really know where you'd slot him in the lineup. I mean, imagine him on a line with Jordan Stahl. <laughs> just, That's just, what I was just, thinking. Just the difference fit, yeah. in pace. I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know where he'd fit. So I'll, I'll say I'll pass. But uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I if, wish a team would Canes, find a better situation for him. If the Canes find, you know, that it's deadline day and that they haven't found their guy, maybe they'll give him a shot. But I, I don't think it's an option. I think it's just a na- another name that we should probably float out there as being like somebody who's probably going to be available come trade deadline time. Yeah. He's right in there with yeah. like the high ends and like those guys that would, you know, not be a bad, like last minute, we just need to shore up one more, you know, bottom six guy. Right. But so I think now, you know, we've talked about the trade deadline enough, right? All of our favorite players, <laughs> all of the players that we secretly wish were Carolina hurricanes instead of the Carolina hurricane. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, I'm sure we'll actually see a trade come up the next few days, and it's going to be somebody. Listen, as long as they don't trade typical. Hayden Flurry, I'm fine with whatever they do. What are we going to do if they trade see, Flurry? Anyways, Man, Alex is going to have you guys. Have a you guys won't hear from me for like a week. Anyways, uh, <laughs> if we don't record for three I'll be, weeks, I'll be MIA. <laughs> 
We're going to go to the questions we got from some fans right now. And we want to thank you Canes fans for uh, sending in your questions as always for the pod. We're sorry. We haven't talked to you in a few weeks, but to be fair, we've had, you know, we've been busy with things to talk about. So our first question comes from at Kaniac Zach saying other than Eric Stahl, who are potential trade deadline acquisitions, you could realistically see the team getting this year. Listen to the past hour of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Two hours. Right. Um, I'm not going to answer Cam's question because that's just going to make Alex mad. One more Hayden Fleury score. Was that it? Yeah. Okay. So here's Never. one from, here's a question from at the little tuna on Twitter. What are the chances we see an Eric Halla quote situation unquote with Trocek when he comes back from injury, he was playing out of his mind and I'm worried that that might disappear. Yeah, um, I'd say zero. Probably, yeah, probably zero. Like, Yeah. With how I don't think it was necessarily his injury that stopped him from performing well. I think it was Howell himself. Yeah, it was his attitude. I'd say it was yeah, his attitude. I think and, that he, um... he just didn't really gel with the system here. He, he and Brendan yeah. Moore clearly had a disconnect. And uh, yeah, I mean, that happens. But Troche, for the most part, seems like he loves playing here. I mean, yeah. not to mention the past success uh, that, you know, Trochek had in Florida. It's not like he was just, you know, kind of a one-off. It's not like this is really... Um, an aberration what he's doing I mean he, he played he's played at this level before with Halla he had you know kind of one season that he played at a crazy level in Vegas where you know just so much went right for everybody in that group and he he's never really reached that level since so I, I just think it's more realistic for you know for Trocek to keep up this pace because we've seen him do it before right. and with Halla he was he was kind of never the player that he showed in his first however many games it was with Carolina I don't really remember now but yeah, I'd say it's it's probably a zero percent chance that it happens with Trocheck. There's going to be a um, an adjustment period as if as there is with most players when they come back from an injury. So there's going to be you know maybe five or so games where Trocheck doesn't look his best, but I, I wouldn't press the panic button. All right. So next question is from at Matthew Nolfo, and if I pronounce anybody's last names wrong, please forgive me. I can't read. So it says Taylor Teravainen's been out for a long time. Is there any chance he comes back this season? My answer is yes, but they're not going to rush him. They're going to give him the correct amount of time that he needs to heal because the team's doing well right now. It's not like they need to rush him back from an injury, and plus it's a concussion. You know, they probably shouldn't. This is something I mentioned earlier, and you you can't, you know, rush a guy with a concussion. If he gets out on the ice and he doesn't feel right, which is apparently what happened the last time he tried to reenter the lineup, you got to take that warning sign and back off. I, I mentioned earlier I've had five concussions. They, you you never really know. I, you know they're all different. Yeah, sometimes you, it just takes it, time. it takes how long it takes. Like we saw uh, who was it? Stall had one two years ago. Yeah, yeah. I kept him out of almost like twenty games. Well, just look at Michael Furland's tenure as a whole, and what's what uh, how things have gone from you know in Vancouver. Oh, so Jeff it's Skinner. Just, it's, it's yeah, it's it's different for a lot of players and. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that's just so unpredictable. So I'm hoping, you know, they let Teravine and get right at his own pace. And when he's ready to get back in the lineup and contribute, you know, they'll they'll obviously be welcoming him back with open arms, given yeah. what he can do. So, right. All right. Our last two. Sorry, there was an argument that happened afterwards. Yes. <laughs> our last two questions are both from at Liv Borncastle on Twitter. The first one she asks is, why is Kane's Facebook the way that it is? And she demands answers from everybody. Um, 
Um, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm gonna. I'll be honest. Uh, there's, 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 there's actually some decently knowledgeable fans on uh, Kane's Facebook. It's just, it's like the like same kind of situation where, you know, one kind of like a few bad seeds have to spoil it for the whole crop. Kind of. I mean, thing. it wasn't too far, too long ago that Kane's Twitter was like this. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? You know what? I actually came uh, from Kane's Twitter or from Kane's uh, Facebook. All right, I was active on Kane's Facebook way, way earlier than I was ever active on on Kane's Twitter. So I can't, I can't really hate that much <laughs> on where I came from. I mean, like, let's be honest, there's they, they have a bad rep for a reason. You know, they they definitely earn that. But um, you know, I will say that um, there is a glimmer of hope um, in Kane's Facebook. It's not all bad. It's bad, but it's not all bad. You know, I think part of it is on Kane's Twitter, you actually have like knowledgeable, verified people. You know, Kane's Kane's Facebook is just fans. And like on Twitter, you have a flow of information and everybody learns. And you know where I'm going with this at all? Is that making sense? Yeah, it's a message board. Kane's Facebook is basically a message board at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And and on Twitter, you actually have these interactions with people like Sarah Siv and, you know, even the national writers that, the flow of information the flow of knowledge just comes much easier that's what i'm going with that i guess so like the the good thing about the internet is it enables you to share your thoughts about some of your passions with people in real time the bad thing about the internet is you have to listen to other people's opinions (laughs) 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 and that's kind of like like kane's facebook it's like Again, it's a message board, basically, where, you know, everybody's posting their own opinions and everybody's entitled to their wrong opinion about why Eric Stahl should not be on this team. But you know what? Like, at the end of the day, like, Kane's Facebook, I'm sure, isn't terrible. I don't use Facebook, so I don't really know. But just knowing what I know about Kane's Twitter, I'm sure people are just kind of, like, picking, like, the worst of the worst and saying, wow, look at Kane's Facebook at it again, when most of the fans on there are pretty rational and level-headed people that's what i mean it's it's a few bad seeds that ruin the whole crop but uh yeah i I agree with both of uh both of what you guys said and uh i don't really think we need to spend any more time on that let's let's get to the serious (laughs) question yeah um and i can actually take the answer to this first because i thought about this on the car on the way home and i i think it makes sense as an answer for this so it says Will the depth of goalie talent help or hurt the Hurricanes down the line? And what is the next move to mitigate any negative repercussions? It's a great question. Yeah, I mean, it's a phenomenal question. (laughs) And the the best answer I could come up with is that the Canes don't need to do anything. They're in a situation right now where they have two goalies playing well. Reimer's playing very well as of late. I'm sorry, Canes Twitter, but he is. I'll even admit it. I'm not the biggest Reimer fan. And then you've got Alex Nedeljkovic, who is playing very well as of late as well. And you had Peter Mrazek, who, you know, when he's on his game, whenever he comes back from his injury, like he's going to be good. You know, we know that. So do the Canes need to actually do anything? Do they need to change anything up? They're, they're in a great position. They're in a great position. Here's where I stand They can just let Mrazek heal on his own time and ride these two goalies who are both playing very well right now yeah here's here's kind of where i stand on this i'll I'll compare it to um you know in football 
there's always this saying that kind of, you know, when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Have any. <laughs> yeah, you know, so like I think in the NHL, it's it's not quite to that extent. But um, obviously you want one guy you can always be, you know, relying on and turning to. I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, if you have two goalies, you have none. But if you have three goalies, you, you know, how when you start to ask the question of, you know, how are you really going to split up and divide that ice time and, you know, get the best out of everybody. And, you know, I just even with the amount of compressed uh, games this season and, you know, how much you need to keep everybody um, in the in the lineup and playing games in a, to get in a groove. Uh, I, just, keep I, sharp. I still don't think you can keep three, three goalies in game shape and getting consistent either. reps. I, I just don't see how you can do it. Um, oh, so, you know, sure. s- somebody is going to miss out for sure. They are going to have to make a decision on whether or not. That's what concerns me. And whether I, or not they're going to say, okay, well, you know what? Reimer and Ned, it's your net. Or whether it's Mrazek and Reimer, whether it's Mrazek and Ned, whether it's Ned and Mrazek, whether it's Ned and Reimer, you know, like there's going to have to be a decision when Mrazek gets healthy. Yeah, we've yeah. had this discussion a bunch here. Yeah, <laughs> but right now. The Canes aren't in a rush to get Morazic back. You know, it's not right. like a situation with, um, say, like Tampa, if Vasilevsky got hurt. Yeah. McElhinney is a fine backup, but he is no Andre Vasilevsky. The Canes are fine. You know, like they have three goaltenders who, when they're on their game, are very good goaltenders. And I think, you know what, for right now, no decision has to be made. It's kind of, and just judging from the way the Canes seem to be handling it, it's a we'll cross that bridge when we get there kind of thing. Yeah, I'll say this. It's definitely a good sign when, you know, your your 1A goalie isn't in your lineup and you're not necessarily rushing to get him back from injury. I think that's a pretty good sign about the depth of the, uh, the position and kind of how things stand overall. So I think they're in good shape as well. Yeah, I agree. But so... That's it for the fan questions, and I, I think you know what? We've taken up too much time out of all of our wonderful listeners' days. We want to thank you all very, very much for listening to this kind of early trade deadline episode, but you know what? It's better to get it out early than record it, and then all of a sudden, two hours later, it's outdated. So, folks, if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a comment, send us a DM, send us a mention on Twitter. Thank you so much for the support. Till next time, it's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.